0: Well, today we're talking about women of grace. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Titus, book of Titus. Um, while you turn in there, does God give us a standard for biblical womanhood? Yeah, you can answer. Let me try that again. Does God give us a standard for biblical womanhood? Yes. yes. There are distinctions between men and women embedded in us and in the created order. Uh, We are equal, right? But distinctly different. God made us male and female to display the glory of Christ in all his fullness. And there are aspects of his glory that can only be clearly seen in biblical womanhood. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Just as with men, God has established the standard for womanhood. And his grace, by his grace, he's saving and training you ladies to renounce ungodliness and live self controlled and upright lives. So we're going to dig into there. Are you ready? Okay. Um, I was thinking that I would have like rows and rows in the front here of women, but it doesn't seem to be the case today. Last week, the men were uh, in the crosshairs of the text, and today, uh, the book of Titus is calling women to a higher standard. So, uh, let me ask you, ladies in the house, are you um, are you willing? Let me ask you first: Are you ready to dig into this? And then, are you willing to um, renounce what God says is ungodly? And are you willing to embrace the portrait of womanhood in, in Scripture? You ready? All right. Well, let's all stand together, and then after we read Scripture, you can be seated for a bit okay we're going to read from titus chapter 2 and we'll we'll bounce around a little bit we're going to look at the first five verses and then uh i really want to connect this reading to the the central gospel passages in titus so chapter 2 11 through 15 and chapter 3 3 through 8 so we'll read all of that together chapter 2 verse 1 but as for you Paul writing to Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, I'm sorry, we'll skip this next section. Go to verse 11 of chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness And the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you today for giving us this word, your word. We're not left wondering what you want what you expect of us. So Lord, help us to see the beauty of your design, to trust you rather than ourselves or our culture and to live in faithful obedience. We know that God is a good father. and His way is always for our good and for your glory. So Lord, teach us now. Jesus, teach us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So the Bible says the grace of God appeared in Jesus, bringing salvation and training us to renounce some things and to embrace other things. That's what we read in this text. So, ladies, if you've received the grace of God in salvation, then he is calling you to to uh, receive his grace of training today. And so we're going to look at some, dig into some details from this text today about womanhood. Uh, so that means to, to let go of some things in order to embrace his design for you and to embrace some other things. In order to do this, you're going to have to take a posture of humility today, right? Um, so I was thinking this week, preparing this, this little message and I thought, you know, maybe I should run some of this by my wife. And for some reason, the image of a porcupine came to mind. And uh, so when the porcupine feels threatened, uh, it bristles up and uh, its sharp quills become like a force field. And it begins to go on a defensive attack. Right. Are you seeing this behind me? Yeah. Uh, It sometimes whips its tail around. And uh, the jagged quills are used to deter its attacker. Nothing's going to get through without getting jabbed, right? So ladies, don't be like the porcupine today. <laughs> uh, don't feel threatened. Don't bristle up. God's word is true. He is good. And, and I don't want to get jabbed. Amen, right? <laughs> Neither does your husband, right? We, it's okay. We're all right. So chapter 2, verse 1. Paul tells Titus, Titus, I want you to teach what accords with sound doctrine. What he means here is to teach the actions or the behavior, the lifestyle, the kind of living that is in sync with sound doctrine. We talked about this word sound uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe. And the word sound, again, it means whole. It means healthy. It means pure. It means without Mixture without contaminants. Um, take a look, if you will, know, at these two bottles of water. Okay, this one is clean. It's pure. It's refreshing. It's good for me to drink, right? Quenches my thirst. It's it's sound. It's pure good. This one, on the other hand, is filled with all kinds of nastiness, looks like. Um, Dirt, algae maybe, looks like mulch. I don't know what Wendell put in this bottle, (laughs) but uh, it looks gross. And if I were to drink this, it would be real bad for all of us, probably. So, This bottle is contaminated. It it has a mixture of contaminants, right? So the word sound is saying um, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So what he's saying is there's a way of living associated with the purity of belief. There's also a way of living associated with this kind of belief. In Crete, which is the island that Titus is living in and he's trying to establish churches, there were some teachers, you read about these teachers in chapter 1, who were mixing the teachings of Jesus with their preferred way of life. They were trying to take Jesus' teachings, the sound doctrine, and mix them with a life that really blends with this kind of teaching. Maybe they would say things like, I mean, we can believe in Jesus and still live how we want, our way of life's not that different. In fact, Jesus is a good teacher, but he doesn't really know much about real everyday life. Well, there was a mixture of the teachings of the gospel with a lifestyle that did not match. As you know, there's been a flood of that in our culture, right? Maybe even in your life. So my hope today uh, for all of us, especially for our ladies, is not to burden anybody with guilt. It's not to make you feel like a terrible wife or mother or any of that. This is not to give you another laundry list of to do's. Instead, what I want to do is to call us to plant yourself deeply in the gospel of Jesus. Root yourself in that good news, the sound doctrine. And you'll bear the fruit of this passage in your life. All right, ladies, let's dig in together, okay? So when Paul says, we're looking at specifically looking at verses 3 through 5. This will be our focus text for today. When Paul says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, and he goes on this list. When he uses the frame older women, he is generally speaking to the women who are beyond childbearing age, Beyond the age of raising littles, maybe they've uh, grown and gone. So he's speaking to women who do not have the daily labors of parenthood. These are women who have lived through seasons of difficulty in marriage. They've had difficulty in parenting. They've weathered those storms. They've maybe taken care of aging parents, maybe buried aging parents. They've struggled through the ups and downs of caring for their home and their family. And they've settled into a healthy rhythm of what that looks like now as an older woman. Age and experience has tempered them with wisdom. Well, as with older men that we talked about last week, these women are not to retire to the rocking chair and the coffee Right. Instead, they are now called to impart and invest all that wisdom and experience into a younger generation to be the women who are now passing along a life inspired by the truth of Jesus. So I want us to talk together about the standard that Paul is establishing for this church in Crete, the standard the first thing he says to these ladies is uh, these women, older women, are to be reverent in behavior. The word reverent literally means temple appropriate. I thought that was unusual, but in their day, there was this mentality. And it used to be this way when I was growing up. You need to dress for church, boy, you know, that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, there was this idea of temple appropriate. That's not appropriate for the temple, young lady, that kind. So this is what he's talking about. Be reverent, to revere God in your life, in your behavior, in your dress, your speech, the way you carry yourself. There's a fear and reverence for God with honor, to carry yourself with honor and dignity. So much the same way as when Paul called for the older men to be dignified. Remember, uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, when I, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Much the same way, he's talking to these women and he's saying, Women, at this point in your life, you are to have outgrown the immaturities and insecurities of your youth. You should, you should at this point settle into a kind of living that's dignified. It's reverent. This is important as um, you want to set an example, ladies, for the young women, right? Many young women are looking to find their worth, their identity, their value as a woman in the wanting eyes of a man. Do you guys agree? So they maybe they dress immodestly. Maybe they speak inappropriately, maybe post pictures of themselves with lots of skin or showing their curves or whatever it may be. And the, the point of that sometimes would be to draw the eyes of a man that might maybe possibly make them feel good. So Paul's speaking with to older women in particular and saying, These godly older women have learned at this point that their worth and identity. Are not in the way that a man looks at you, no, but being made in the image of God and being welcomed as his daughter into the family through Jesus. I was thinking specifically about um, the woman in Luke chapter eight who had a a bleeding issue. Do You remember the story? She struggled, I think, for like 12 years, had all the doctors that she knew of to try to deal with the issue spent spent so much money trying to get well and never could get well dealt with this problem for 12 years and then Jesus is passing through the town she makes her way through the crowd just secretly because she's kind of an an outsider she's lived in shame and and as an outcast now for over a decade and so she's just quietly making her way through the crowd all she wants to do she's believing if I just touch the hem of his garment this man can make me whole he can make me well and sure enough. She touches the hem of his garment, and in the moment, it stops, right? The bleeding problem is totally healed. Well, Jesus is not content to just heal her body. He wants to restore her worth and identity as a person. And so he turns to this woman who's been quietly living in the background of society, and he gives her the platform to tell her story. But something that struck me about this passage in Luke 8 is he didn't look to her and call her woman. Instead, he restored her body. And he looks at this woman and he says, daughter. It's the first time Jesus said that to a woman. Daughter. I love the the intimacy of that word. This woman who'd been redeemed by Jesus now found her worth in him. And godly older women, when Paul says be reverent, what he means is that a woman who's been redeemed and rescued by Christ finds her honor in Jesus and makes honoring him her chief concern. So this is the kind of maturity it's revealed in a woman's reverence. So Paul would say to you, be reverent. The second thing he says is be truthful and kind. And I take these words from the word not slanderers. Older women are not slanderers. The wording here is actually the Greek word Diablos, Diablos. Any Spanish speakers in the house? Somebody? Yeah. What is Diablos? I see Mildred. Tell me what is Diablos in Spanish? The same Diablos. Yeah. yeah what does it mean? It's a devil. Devil. Yeah. That's the word devil. It's actually the exact same word in Greek Diablos. It's where we get our English word devil. So listen to this. The devil's primary work is to tear us down with lies, right? It's to slander you, to lie and tear you down. When you slander, you are doing the devil's work. A spiritually mature woman refrains from hearing and spreading gossip. Now, gossip and slander are slightly different sisters. And here's what I mean by this. Slander carries with it the intent of doing some damage. Gossip's just sort of spreading the news, right? Slander has sort of an evil slant to to tear people down. But underneath a gossip, a person who spreads all the things is a person who finds her worth in being in the know or having all the inside information. Ladies, I speak to ladies in particular here because this is a particular issue and because Paul deals with it directly with women Grow in your willingness to not need to know. It's okay to be ignorant. I've actually grown very accustomed to it. <laughs> I, my wife tells me things all the time. She's like, you didn't know that? No, no clue. No clue. Actually was glad not to know, but thank you. <laughs> grow in your willingness to not need to know. And certainly in the self-control to not be the cause of spreading Useless information. Do a quick Google search, if you will, on Proverbs about gossip or slander. There's an incredible amount of scripture you'll find. In the Proverbs, you'll be amazed to see that God forbids it. He warns with judgment for it. And he commends the one who chooses love over gossip. Let me give you a quick sample very quick sample, Proverbs 16, 28. A whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, the quarreling ceases. Proverbs 17:4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. So there it's not just about speaking, it's about hearing and listening. A liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Proverbs 17 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 19:5, a false witness will not go unpunished. And he who breathes out lies will not escape. That's a strong warning, isn't it? Well, I hear some people say sometimes, well, it's not slander if it's true. Hmm. Our words should be gentle, showing perfect courtesy, Titus three two. Always seeking to build up rather than tear down Ephesians four twenty nine. Seasoned with the same grace and mercy that we've received Colossians four six. I thank God that when I confess all my filth to him, he doesn't go and tell all my friends. We should give the same grace that we've received, ladies. This is one of the biggest issues among women today, and it's, it's no wonder. I was reading in, in uh, BBC News in 2013 said that a, the average woman speaks 20,000 words a day. Did you guys know that? The average man, yes, seven thousand words. Three times as many words from women. Men, don't elbow your ladies. It's not a good time for that. I promise. You'll regret that later. Uh, Three times as many words puts you really at three times more danger of speaking hurtful words. So I want to give you three helpful questions to ask yourself before saying something you shouldn't. You ready? Here's the first one. Is it true? Is it true? What I'm about to say, is it true? If not, zip it. If you don't know for sure. Zip it. Is it true? Second question. Is it kind? Is it kind? Maybe maybe you could ask this question. Would I want this said about me? Third question. Is it necessary? Why do I need to share this information? Why do I need to say this? Maybe that's a good introspective question as well. Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? Those are good sort of guardrails for our tongues. The book of James says that the tongue is um, very hard to tame. Right? It also says such a small little thing, it can sure start a forest fire. So I encourage you ladies, be very careful. Be care- very careful. Let's, let's use our words to build up rather than tear down. Paul, thirdly, goes on. He says, these women should be free from addiction. Be free from addiction. He says it this way. Not slaves to much wine. Not slaves to much wine. I I notice many people who are slaves uh, in addiction are blind to their own chains. You know that? I talk to guys all the time uh, who are addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever. And their words to me are, I can quit anytime I'm ready. And yeah, maybe, maybe. But they're blind, I think, a lot of times to their own chains. Alcohol usage in particular must have been a significant issue in Crete um, and in the early church age because uh, it's listed in every set of qualifications for an elder. Do you know that? Every set in the scriptures, it says, hey, he can't be uh, can't be given too much wine, can't be a drunk." That's a good rule for a pastor. It's also in the attributes for mature men, for mature women. And as with men, God wants you ladies to be sober minded, sober minded, not under the influence of any substance or impulse other than him. I love what Ephesians 5 verse 18 says. It says Paul in doing some teaching on this same topic. He says, don't be drunk with wine. And then I love how he pivots. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the sense of being not under the control of any substance, but under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. Ladies, I would encourage you, give yourself to the Holy Spirit, not to anything else. Be free from addiction. Next, he says that older women should be teachers who train the next generation. I want to spend some time here. Teachers who train the next generation. The the scripture specifically says, teach what is good and so train the young women. And he goes on to give us a list. We'll spend time there. But ladies, um, if you think of yourself as older, I won't point anybody out. uh, But if you think of yourself as older, meaning you're maybe beyond the age of raising your own children. I want you to think specifically about how all the investment that God has made into you over the years. He expects you to be a good steward of it. He wants to put to use all the seeds of wisdom that he's sown in your life. He wants them now to bear fruit in the lives of younger women. Maybe those are daughters-in-law or sons-in-law or their children, the grandchildren. Maybe it's women in this church body that you can look around and begin to invest in. All that you've learned through hardship and happiness, through your studies and through your struggles, through depression, through doubt, through your worship, through his word, none of it is intended just for you. All of it is meant to go through you to the next generation. So ladies, listen, God has beautiful plans For you to be of use to him in the kingdom, to bless young women. You may say, well, I'm not gifted to be a teacher. Well, we're not talking about gifting here or vocational skill. This is a general calling for older, wiser men and women to invest that wisdom into the young and dumb, right? (laughs) Um, last week, after I finished talking about men, I was out in the cafe and Rick came over and he was talking to me and he was just sort of nudging me, man, I needed to hear that or whatever, you know. And I said, Man, I'm so thankful for older men like you to invest in me, us younger, dumber guys, young and dumb. And he was like, Well, I'm telling you, man, I'm, a, I, I'm dumb. He said, I'm dumb, you're just dumber. <laughs> I said, Okay, well, then through you, I want to be less dumb, okay? Uh, Older women, you are commanded by God to train, to train young women. So what do you train them? Well, he gives us a list here. It's not exhaustive, but it's a lot for us to dig into. So let's begin. He says, train them to love their husbands and children. Well, wait a minute now. Aren't women naturally loving and Uh, Aren't we husbands and children? Easy to love anyway. (laughs) Why do we need training for women to learn to love their husbands and children? Well, simply because marriage and parenting is hard, isn't it? In marriage, two sinners are trying to love each other. Get that. Your wife, men, your husband, ladies is a sinner. And for most of you you're like, "Well, duh." Right? <laughs> but here's the thing, like you're trying to love a person who is failing every day. That's tough. It's not easy. Many of their failures are directly against you. So in order for you to love a sinner, you have to recognize that you are also a sinner in need of grace and you receive incredible, beautiful, wonderful grace from God, and then you're able to bend that grace to that sinner that you're trying to love. Well, what about kids? Well, oh, children are smaller, but no less vile sinners, right? (laughs) And they many times are very difficult. And so Men and women alike, but in, he, in this scripture in particular, he's saying women, women teach the train, the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. We're reminded that this word love here is not best portrayed in the little fat angel Cupid who goes around shooting arrows into people's hearts that that somehow have unstoppable, emotional, emotional hallmark powers No, that's not love. That's not what we're talking about here. I hate to spoiler alert for your date tomorrow. Um, No, real love is best seen in Jesus. He didn't love us because we're so lovable. Or because we loved him first. First, John actually says it's the opposite. He loved us while we were still sinners. His love drove him to sacrifice so that this sinner could live. He gave his all to free us from sin and to claim us as his pure bride. So ladies, older ladies, older women, how do you train younger women to love their husbands and children? With the gospel of Jesus. The perfect love of Jesus is our standard for how to love one another. It's What I'm saying is don't look only to your example of how you've loved your husband over the years, although that will be incredibly helpful. Both your successes and your failures are useful to God in mentorship and training. But instead of looking only to your experience, look mainly to Jesus. Point the young women to Christ in how to love their husbands. So he says to love your husbands and children, to to be self-controlled. Um, ladies, I would encourage you to uh, that. Maybe the, the push from Paul here is to reject the desire to control your circumstances, to control your husband, to control your children, to control your world. I'm speaking this way because I feel this issue is a difficult one for women in particular. To try to get a handle on and manage all of the things that you have to manage. And if that's your effort and agenda every day, you're going to be frazzled and stressed and worried every day. So Paul writes and he says, tell the the ladies, train them to be self-controlled. The one place you can learn control is yourself. So get a grip on you, right? Um, I think specifically about James chapter one, verse 19. James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Try subbing your name in in there. See how that works here. I'll just try it for fun. Let Lauren be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is a great verse for self-control. In at least a few areas, force yourself to listen first and most speak when necessary and wanted. Guard your heart from becoming easily angered. Well, how do we do that? Well, we run to Jesus. We live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We trust him when we want to, you know, explode. We go to our knees well, hopefully, as an older woman, you've matured in this area. You've grown. You've, you haven't mastered it, right? Because we're going to be fighting these battles until we go to glory. But you've grown and matured in this area. I, I can remember as a man sitting at a table with other men, um, uh, meeting at Bojangles at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings with a little group of men. And there's um, men in that group that are in every age generation, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way up to 80s. And we're just speaking life into each other. And I came in one day frustrated with my children and just having a, just blowing the gasket, you know, letting them know that I've got terrible kids and blah, blah, blah. And, and really it was just, I'm a terrible, I'm terrible, right? So, but I'm venting and these guys are listening. And then one of the older men just looked at me and he said, Justin, if I could tell my younger self something about raising my children You know what I'd say? And I said, no, what? And I thought there was going to be this deep wisdom. And he just said, chill out. (laughs) And I was like, that's really good, actually. It's exactly what I needed to hear. So here's the th- deal. He gave me some perspective. He wasn't being arrogant. He actually related to me and my struggle. He knew it was real. He spoke practical wisdom from his place of age and experience. He didn't give me a Bible verse. He just told me what to do. And I needed it. It was helpful. And Paul is saying, ladies, train these young women to exercise self-control. He goes on. He says, train them to be pure. The idea here is that that of modesty, it's connected back to that picture of be reverent we talked about earlier but he's he's saying teach the young women to live pure and then he says working at home working at home well if it hasn't been controversial yet here we go um, so here Paul is not referring to um, being allowed to re- work remotely as we as we know in our COVID days right he's not necessarily talking about working remotely instead what Paul is saying is that the home base of operation for a young woman is the home. He's not saying that a woman shouldn't work a job. I mean, Proverbs 31 and many other scriptures talk about how women are commended for their business savviness or their work ethic, the ways that they get creative to help put food on the table or make clothing or provide or do whatever it may be for the needs of the family. What Paul is saying is that the primary area of responsibility for a young woman is the home. So in this area in particular, our culture, our culture especially, lies to us. It says to you ladies especially, if you want worth and dignity, if you want to mean something, You need to go be a career woman. Spend your days earning all the money you can. Go prove yourself in the workplace. There's nothing men can do that women can't do better, right? In some ways, that may be true. But the lies of the enemy seek to lure you away. Listen, they seek to lure you away from God-given responsibilities with the empty promise of true fulfillment elsewhere. And what you need to hear from the scripture today is that those are lies. The work of a young woman, speaking of a woman with young children, or a woman at home with husband and children and trying to manage all the things. That work is tedious and difficult And not celebrated, not very rewarding in many ways. And so the promise that the world tends to offer to lure to lure you out seems to be true. What Paul is saying here is it is not. There's no question that a wife and mother's particular role and responsibilities in the home and The decisions that she has to make in order to keep up with all that are incredibly, she's making an incredible sacrifice in order to fulfill those roles. I mean, I think about my wife in particular. She had a career when we were first married. She's a teacher, great teacher. But for now, a decade, because we can't stop having babies. She's she's chosen to stay at home. And that has been her choice from the beginning. It was not a choice at the beginning, men, I'll be honest. It was not a choice at the beginning that I was for. I mean, I was doing the math and I was like, I don't know if we're going to make it if you come home. Like, you provide our insurance. You, right now, you're floating at least half of the bills. If, if you stay home, how's this going to work? <laughs> and the Lord said, I'll handle that. And for 10 years now... I thank God that my wife has chosen to be at home and shepherding our our home and our family. And our our home is beautiful in the way it is. I'm not talking about decoration. I'm talking about our family, the the tightness of the family and, and our children and all of that in many ways is due to her and the choices that she has made. And what Paul is saying here to Titus is that this contribution of a woman for this season, while it is a huge sacrifice, is worth it. It's worth it. It's not popular. What I'm saying right now is not popular. I understand that. Maybe for a time, a woman can't contribute financially. Or maybe she has to take some time away from her career or slow that down, scale it back, whatever it may be. But As she steps away from those things, it's so that she can step into what God is calling as a primary role of responsibility. What I love about Scripture, let's just be clear, is it's God's word for all people for all time. And for some reason, our culture thinks that these things are culturally relevant for then and not for now. Well, I would like to quote an article and I think um, I'm going to post this article. I thought it was fantastic. It's an article written by Abigail Dodds, She's a great writer. And I read a few things by her, but I want to quote what she says. Listen carefully. The vision our culture offers is a sad consolation that exchanges the glory of feminine strength for a treadmill race to nowhere. It squanders the kind of influence that is found primarily in the soil of the home, the home, that center of all learning, the heart of nation building, the dispenser of love and stability, the the venue for gospel hospitality, for single and married alike. In short, the footings of humanity. This home based influence because of Christ can last for a thousand generations. Yet, our culture urges us to cast it aside for the pursuit of rewards a little less often in the distance and certainly those that don't require diapering. <laughs> diapering, yes. Yeah. Ladies, I just want to encourage you, guard your heart. From thinking little of what God says is glorious and thinking much of what the world is selling you. Moving on, Paul says to ladies, let the older women train the younger women to be kind. One little word, but it seems to carry so much beauty, right? Kind is genuine, it's gentle, it's pleasant. Ask the Lord, ladies, to make you the kind of person that people love to be with. Kind. Uh, Last on the list here, but certainly not the lightest one to cover, is submissive to their own husbands. Older women train the younger women to be submissive to their own husbands. Once again, Scripture is pointing us to God's design for men and women in marriage. And let me say, right out the gate, this is one of those Concepts in scripture that has been so abused over the years, so used to um, to prop up men who are domineering and pressing women down. And that's not the objective of these teachings. This is not a passage about dominance or superiority or anything like that. God established marriage as a portrait of Christ and his church. So listen to how Ephesians 5 explains it. He says in Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For, here's the explanation, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This idea of submission isn't about superiority or dominance. It's about trusting God's design and playing our parts in displaying the gospel. The loving husband is to be loving his wife like Christ loves the church. So men, here's what that means. It means submitting yourself to God first. Right. That's how Jesus lived. His life is in full submission to the father all the time. It means. Um. It means serving the needs of your wife and family above your own. And it means self-sacrifice. This is the model Jesus gave. It's how Christ loves the church. Husbands are to love as Christ loves the church. And then, ladies, this means for you trusting the Lord enough to gladly be led by your husband. And to yield the heavy decision-making responsibilities to him. For some couples, this would be a massive shift in your marriage. So many men have learned that if they just take the back seat, their wife will take over. And in many cases, she's a much better driver, right, in life. Okay, but we laugh. We laugh. But this is not God's design. In Genesis chapter three, the first couple sinned and fell in the garden. And the brokenness of that sin followed and it has impacted now both men and women, all of us. The brokenness for men gives us a sinful tendency toward a lust for power, right? Or to become this overbearing ogre. In some cases, or on the extreme, the other way, there's a complete abdication of headship and authority, like just totally shirking responsibility and giving it away when God has clearly given it to you. For women, the way sin fleshes out usually is sin inclines her to reject the authority of her husband and to take the lead role. And we just need to be clear that in Genesis 3.16, that is part of the curse. When the woman was cursed, remember pain and childbearing, all of those things at the very end in Genesis 3.16, it says she will desire his role. If you look carefully at the wording there, that's exactly what it means. She, it doesn't, it unfortunately, it doesn't mean she will desire him. I, I read it that way wrong for years and was frustrated. <laughs> unfortunately, it does not mean that. It means she wants his role. And then the follow up phrase is and he will rule over her. I want you to listen quickly. and I need to close. Our time is gone. But ladies, all of this teaching, he gives the explanation at the end that the word of God may not be reviled. All that we're talking about is to prop up. What Jesus says is good and right and holy and honorable. And when we trust him, when we trust what he says, we walk and live faithfully in it. This kind of living, it makes much of God's word. It says we do believe this. We submit our lives to it. Let me talk lastly, quickly. All of this, we're looking to the Savior. When I spoke to men last week, um, Jesus was the portrait of manhood. I talked about Bo Jackson and all that, right? In a unique way today, Jesus is not the portrait of womanhood in the same way as he is for manhood. But he does model perfectly every character attribute we've talked about and specifically this idea of submission. I want you to think for a moment. Even though Jesus, the son of God, is equal with God. He submitted himself to the Father's will at every step. The Bible says he obeyed him even to the cross. There can be no greater model for how two equals live in uh, complementary submission. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity is the most beautiful portrait for how we live together in submitted unity. There can be no, no greater model. So look to Christ. So that's he's our savior. And then lastly, the strategy. I just want to say from the gospel readings that we've looked at, look back. The Bible says he saved us. He saved us. Titus 2, 11, Titus 3, 5. He saved us. So the grace of Jesus has rescued you, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been rescued. It's not by your works. So don't weary yourself, ladies, with working for what he's already given don't weary yourself for working with working for what he's already given. You belong to him. You're his daughter, right? You've been born again. This is what he's saying. Look back. Look at what he's done now. Look forward. The gospel, the grace of God is training us. He's changing you. He wants you new and different. You're not who you used to be. That's what Titus 2 or 3 was saying. We ourselves were once Foolish, disobedient. That's who we were, but that's not who we are. We've been changed, but he's not finished with you. There are things even today that God has stirred your heart over. He wants you to yield to his word. Trust that his ways are better. So repent. Live differently tomorrow. Look forward. And then lastly, look up. Right. Titus 2.13 says waiting for the. Appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope, I want you to really listen here. This is the, I'm finishing up right here. Listen, our hope is the fulfillment that all these shadows, marriage, is pointing to. All of this is a shadow of a greater reality. Our husband, we're the bride, he's the husband. He's been working to purify his bride. And there's coming a day when He's going to return in glory. We'll treasure Him. We treasure Him now and then. Ultimately, by trusting Him today.